Father, we, we worship you. We give you this time. We worship you with our attention right now and our, our looking with eyes of faith into your scriptures. And Lord, I pray that, that this chapter would, would be very powerful in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today's study is called, Oops, I Forgot I Was Married 2.0. Right. Well, as you recall, back in uh, earlier in Genesis, we had a study called, Oops, I Forgot I Was Married, but that was dealing with Abraham and his life, and now we have 2.0. So gives you a little hint. But have you, I got a question for you. Have you guys ever lived somewhere that you weren't that comfortable? Like, you know, like you weren't too crazy about. My, my first apartment, when I got an apartment in Greeley, um, when I was, I had gra- graduated Bible college and moved back to Greeley, and I was the janitor at church. My first apartment was right off of the highway. Like, literally, I could spit out my window and hit cars, and I didn't do that, but <laughs> I could have on, on uh, 34 right there, which is the big main highway. And so it was very loud, and across the street was Crazy Dave, or across the hallway in my apartment. And Crazy Dave would just yell randomly in the middle of the night. Yeah, Crazy Dave just... <laughs> Dave just peeked behind. Oh, anyway, that was funny. <clears throat> um, so Crazy Dave, though, would, would scream just obscenities in the middle of the night at different times and no, no, had no... It was really creepy, okay? It was not comfortable. Ugh. And I, so it got me thinking about horror stories of people's apartments. You got, you got a horror story? Well, I found this one online. There's this... Uh, this uh, the nice two-bedroom hardwood floor po- apartment in Evanston. Uh, my upstairs neighbor took advantage of the layout with the long wall of each bedroom aligned with a long connecting hallway to create a bowling alley. <laughs> For practice at ran- random times on weeknights. Graciously, she put pillows at the end of the run so as not to damage the walls or make too much noise. She also uh, fought ferociously with her sometimes boyfriend, Fought, uh, not argued, but actually fought, like with fists. Overturned furniture, broken dishes, police arrest, the whole deal. Uh, so yeah, that's a bowling alley. That's pretty epic as far as stories go. Oh man, um, there was a, the story actually goes on to say that she, when she left, it was in the middle of winter and it was minus thirty-four in Chicago where they were at, and uh, all the pipes froze. In, in her apartment and the apartment of the person who's writing this. And it, everything, it was like uh, a scene from Alien with just ice everywhere. And uh, it, was, it was really bad. So, and I'm sure you guys have had stories where living in an uncomfortable place was not uh, very exciting. Well, we get to a place here in, in Genesis chapter 26 where it says in verse 6, where we start, that so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And this is a bummer for him. As you recall, last week we studied that there was a famine in the land. And this famine made it so that Isaac could not stay in the the wide open spaces that he was used to. Uh, He was forced by the pressure of the famine to move into this city where the Philistines lived. The stinky Philistines. All right. And, and so Isaac didn't really want to live by them. I mean, they had different standards. I think they only bathed like once a month or something. I'm just making that up. But they had different standards. They had different ideas about what was accepted. And they had different gods. 
They were just totally different. And Isaac, he was much more comfortable with his family and his servants and his flocks out away from this stinky city. So the question we, we, that, that comes to our mind first is, did the famine, or we could say blind chance, put Isaac here in the city of Gerar, or was it God? Was God behind making Isaac uncomfortable? Putting Isaac in an apartment he didn't want to live in. You know, we think, oh, God just wants us to be happy all the time. And that's not necessarily the case. It, the answer is God. God did take Isaac out of his comfort zone, the wide open spaces, into the dirty, smelly city where he was surrounded by sin and sinners. But God's not afraid of it. God's not worried about it. You know, maybe Isaac was worried that he or his children would be affected by their sin, but God, he's got different ideas. He does things in a different way. God never says in the Bible to leave the world behind and to live in a nice house out in the country with a basement full of ammo. Does not say that. He doesn't even say, as nice as that would be to, to all of us just have our own space and not be affected by the world, that's not in the Bible anywhere. And if you, if you remember church history, if you've studied church history, or if you haven't, I'll tell you, about 100 years after Christ, there was a movement in the church called, uh, well, there was all these hermits. They were called hermits. And they were the most godly people. They, where they, would, they would move out of the cities, out into the middle of the wilderness, and seclude themselves from the world. And it was a big, it was a big deal. People would go out to them and say, how could we be more holy and more Christ-like? And, and they would say, oh, well, to be holy, do this or do that. And, and it, it was this whole movement. But as we look in scriptures in the Bible, it's, it's not there. The Bible never says to go away from the world. God will use famines and trials to put us where he wants us to be. God cares more about the lost souls living in this world than my comfort. And he cares more about me trusting him than my comfort. It may be dangerous. It might be uncomfortable. It might be less than you think that you deserve. But humility will accept it and surrender these self-serving ideas that I deserve comfort, I deserve an easy life, I deserve all these things. Surrender hurts, though. Surrender feels like you're dying to yourself to trust the Lord. So like I said, there was this movement, and as we search the scriptures, we don't see this movement, we don't see it encouraged. We're, we're to be with the sinners and the people of this world. In the world, but not of the world. You've heard that, right? In the world, but not of the world. So now Isaac... In chapter 26 of Genesis, he is forced or led, as you could call it, into this crazy, dirty city, but God is with him all the way, just like Jesus. It's interesting. We see Jesus, the same exact thing. Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the desert immediately after he was baptized and started his public ministry. He went right into a famine. He, he looked like he was alone. He felt like he was alone, but his faith and trust was in his father alone. He looked like he was alone. He felt like he was alone, but his trust was in his father alone. And that's how he was able to dwell 
in that desert for 30 days. And Satan came along and Satan wanted to ruin the ministry of Jesus. Satan sees, okay, Jesus has been proclaimed and everyone now knows that Jesus is the Messiah, the Spirit, and John the Baptist, the Lamb of God, all this happened. Okay, so Satan's now, okay, this is the Messiah. I got him. I'm going to take him out right now in the desert. He wanted to make his, him fail the mission that God had sent him on. So he tempted him, but Jesus responded with that perfect trust in his father. Perfect trust in his father's word and his father's promises. Perfect surrender to his father's will. And Isaac is in the place that God wants him to be now. God has moved him into this city. He's been moved into this dark and dusty world that is so full of sin, and God's put him there. So let's see how Isaac responds. Does he respond like Jesus, who trusted his father, or... Verse 7, the men of this place asked about his wife, and he said, she's my sister, for he was afraid. should highlight that verse, or that word, afraid, to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of this place kill me for Rebecca, for she is a hottie with a body. No, I'm, she is beautiful to behold. <laughs> Isaac, Isaac had a chance to be used by God in this dirty city. But to be used by God, you have to live by faith. That's the, that's the only requirement is that you have faith, that you trust your father. And so we, we read in Hebrews 10.38, I'll read it to you. It says, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Isaac, he's saved. He has a relationship with God, but he has a lapse here of faith. He draws back. He makes a decision based on fear and not faith. Focused on self and his ability to protect himself and come up with a scheme to protect himself rather than focused on the spirit. Focused on self and not the spirit. Focused on fear and not faith. He was afraid to say, the Bible says here, she's my wife, because he thought. The Bible's so clear about what's going on here. He thought, lest the men of this place kill me for Rebecca. The men of the city were, were checking him out when he moved in. They were looking at him. They were looking at his family too. Look at all this. This guy's got some money. He's got a, a beautiful wife. He's, they're checking him out. And, and again, here's this opportunity that God has ordained for Isaac to be a witness to this these Philistines, who God loves, but he chooses to shrink back in fear. And did this, does that make God happy? No. God wants us to trust him. God wanted Isaac to trust him because these people, they're checking him out. They're asking these questions like, hey, why don't you guys worship the same gods that we do? Why, why don't you guys watch the same things that we do? Why don't you guys love each Why do you guys love each other so much? This is weird. Why do you guys do the things you do? Why are you so blessed? But Isaac loses an opportunity by giving in to fear. He surrendered to fear instead of trusting in the Lord. And in the word of the Lord, he trusts his own thoughts and the lies of the enemy. All right, so, many, so much uh, advice out there says, Believe in who you are. Trust your instincts. 
And the Bible says, don't ever do that. Your instincts are messed up. And it's not your fault, it's Adam's fault, but your instincts are controlled by the flesh. We need to be controlled by the Spirit, which is formed by God's Word in us. And so whenever you hear someone say, trust your instincts, go with your heart, understand that is not biblical. That's not biblical, all right? Trusting in the Lord, though, will never lead you wrong. It might lead you into danger, but God is allowed to take you into a dangerous place if he wants to. You're his child. He takes the responsibility for protecting you. So he can take you. And his promise is to be with you there. That's his promise. So there's no reason for you to be afraid when you walk by faith. But, you know, because your faith is in God and God is a God of love and perfect love casts out all fear. It just works. Living by faith is the most safe way to live. But Isaac, he relies on his own wisdom. He grew up hearing Abraham's stories of how he lied in this exact same way. And I bet Abraham taught his son saying, don't do the same things I did. I lied when I went down into Egypt. When there was a famine, I lied and it went bad for me. It was bad, but Isaac has his own battle to fight. He has his own faith that needs to be developed. And so God brings him into a very similar situation. He has to learn the hard lesson that Abraham learned over a long period of time. Isaac has to learn it too, that we cannot trust our own wisdom. That was beat out of Abraham. And it got to the place where God said, Abraham, sacrifice your son Isaac. And Abraham said, yes, Lord, I'm safest when I'm in your will. I, when I'm walking by faith is the only place. He was broken. He was surrendered to doing God's will. But Isaac has to learn that lesson for himself. We have to renounce every dependence upon the flesh, sometimes daily. And, and I, he saw Abraham do it, but Isaac has to learn how to do that himself. How to say, you don't got this, Isaac. You have to trust the Lord. And we have to, uh, I mean, as much as we would like to teach our kids this lesson, it's something that they must learn in their own hearts. And that's, that's deeply disturbing to me because I would like to just input into my kids all the lessons I've learned and so that they don't make any of the same mistakes I made. But I have a feeling that they're going to make some mistakes along the way. This week, we had a son who got in some trouble, said a bad word, got in a fight with his brother at the bus stop. It was a bad day. And it really affected my heart. And I'm, I, I, I read this and I'm like, wow, you know, the, the Lord, I, I need the Lord to do the work in his heart to teach him to be a godly man. I can teach him the way to go, but I have to pray and trust the Lord to do that work spiritually, invisibly on my behalf. But God knows how to do this. He's able and willing to teach each one of us and our children and the generations to come how to stop trusting in ourselves. Fear keeps us from being used by the Lord. You know, we hear that angels sometimes appear to us, but sometimes we're afraid to take them into our homes and, and care for them. The Bible says that happens. Not that every wandering stranger is an angel, 
Sometimes they're just homeless people. But God wants us to care for them. So as, um, uh, you know, we can lose opportunities when we're afraid. We will. A Isaac, he lost this opportunity to minister to these people. But we don't have to do that. So who should we serve if, if, if we shouldn't be afraid of anyone? Jesus gives us some advice on who we should serve, who we should not be afraid to serve. He said it was the least of these that we should serve. The most hated, the most despised, the most broken people should be our targeted demographic. Don't be afraid of them, but trust in God's power and the promise that he's with you and will bless you. You can ask my wife, I've grown in my boldness in speaking to people about the Lord, whether I'm checking out at the store or, I don't know, random places. I am always talking to people about the Lord. And I love stepping out in faith and, and, and talking to people about the Lord because God has just convinced me that he's with me. And I don't know what it is, but he has worked in my heart that he's with me. And, and I'm not living by that fear anymore. I'm not controlled by it. And yeah, they might think I'm a weirdo, but I don't care anymore. I'm not afraid of that anymore. And I, I'm not perfect in this. Obviously, sometimes I'm like, I shrink back. And, but the Lord is growing me to be bold. You know, the, I, I just believe that God's going to use the message of the gospel. I just think it's too powerful. I believe they're going to come around someday. Even if I just plant this little seed, someday it's going to grow. And so even if they yell at me or whatever, I'm like, hey, see you later. I'll see you in church when God does it, when God makes it. You know, but you and I will lose our effectiveness when we compromise to fear. So look back at Isaac's. But as we look back at Isaac right now, be careful where you look. Verse 8. Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and he saw there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Now, that's a very polite way to put it. In the King James, it says he was sporting with his wife. I'll just let that soak in. Be careful where you look when you're in the Bible. All right. It's funny. You know, I, Isaac and Rebecca, there was nothing wrong with this. But I, want you, I want you to focus on those words, a long time. He had been there a long time, ineffective in his ministry. Why? Because he was committed to a lie. He, he, this wasn't a one-time decision to say, okay, she's my wife. And, and No, this was, a, we're going to say you're my wife and we're going to live here under this lie. I'm committed to it. This is not being honest over a long period of time. And there was nothing wrong with the sporting. Just the fear that led Isaac to not trust God. To not trust God. That's what it was all about. Verse 9, then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously she is your wife. So how could you say she's my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. Just like his father, Isaac doesn't think much of the people he lives with. He doesn't trust them and he certainly doesn't love them. Because he would have been honest. He would have put things in the Lord's hand, but he doesn't. And that's not the real issue, though. The real issue is that Isaac is trusting himself and his own thoughts and his own judgments about things and not God. That's the big issue here. 
Isaac is still learning to trust in a daily walk with God. Look at verse 10. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So just like his father, Abraham, Isaac is rebuked by a pagan king. The world says you're an idiot because you didn't trust the Lord. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. When God's people live in fear, it doesn't make sense to the world. Let me say that again. When God's people live in fear, it doesn't make sense to the world. They, they're thinking, if you serve an all-powerful God, why are you afraid of what I can do to you? It doesn't make sense. The world sees you as someone who knows God. But when we decide, when you decide, when I decide to have fear to not trust him, we give them mixed messages about who God is. Because if I'm God's people, if we are God's people, we should be able to trust him. But if we don't, there's a big problem there. Is he not trustworthy? And why should I go to church if you don't even trust him? Oh, wow. What you do matters. Your integrity matters. So how do we grow in bravery, our, our courage, our boldness in this crazy, dirty city world that we live in? How do we grow in that? Keep your eyes on the Lord and not on yourself. Keep your eyes on his abilities and not your own inabilities. Well, I don't know what I'm going to say to those people if I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Who cares? It doesn't matter what you say. Just tell them Jesus is God and, and they should go to church. And if you can explain the gospel, do a good job, but it's not your abilities that matter. You saying something dumb but loving is more effective when you trust the Lord than someone who's got all the answers, but they're trusting in their own abilities. And the world can see it. They can see. They're smart. They know when you're trying to just convince them or whether you're just trusting God and approaching them with humility, saying, I care about you. I don't have all the answers, but I want you to come and meet the God that has saved me. That's how ministry can work. That's how we, and look at Psalm 105. It's a great psalm about this, about God's covenant love for his people. Look at verse 8 there in Psalm 105. He, speaking of God, remembers his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham and the oath to Isaac. What's the focus of this, this uh, psalm? It's on God's abilities and God's promises. Him. It's on what he can do. And it says he's remembering it. Verse 10, he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute and to Israel as an everlasting covenant. 
And we've seen many times as we've been going through Genesis that God has said to Abraham, I make a promise. He repeated it to Abraham. He made the same promise. He's got this covenant, this promise that basically says, I love you and I'm going to take care of everything you need through my son that's going to be born sometime in the future. Just trust me. That's this covenant in our language today. Then it says, verse 11, saying to, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as an allotment for your inheritance. Verse 12, when they were few in number, indeed few, and strangers in it. That's actually the time we're in right now, in Genesis 26. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land and he destroyed all the provision of bread. See, we see in the Psalms that this famine is God providing for his people. God had a purpose for sending this famine and it was to, to bring eventual provision to his people. He's just leading them and, oh, I need Abraham over here, so I'm going to send a famine. Oh, don't go to I, Egypt. Come back over here. You know, oh, Isaac, I need him over here, so I'm going to, he's providing for us by the circumstances of our life. It might not feel like it, but this psalm specifically talks about our text in Genesis 26, this, this whole story. He said he would rebuke and he, he, he permitted no one to do them wrong, even though Isaac was a goober. God is in charge of what happens to you and I. He permitted no one to do them wrong. He is working in the hearts and the minds of the people of the world, the Abimelechs, the Philistines, and he can protect you. Here he worked, God worked in the heart of the king to protect Isaac, even when Isaac was this goober. Sinful. Wives, God sees your situation. That's all I need to say. Application, boom. Ah, but what if he doesn't? What if he chooses to not protect you? Well, we'll still trust him. We'll trust that somehow that was part of his will. Somehow he's going to work it for the greater good. And we're still going to worship him. And we'll still know that God has honored us with the privilege of suffering for his name's sake. Because that's what the Bible teaches that we will rejoice, that it will be more blessed for us if we suffered in this world in the end and when we get to heaven than if we had a peaceful, comfortable life. You will be blessed. You'll have a crown that's different from a comfortable person's crown. A great reward lies ahead for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So verse 12, back in Genesis 26. Then Isaac sowed in the land. After Isaac was a goober, showed no faith, and just blew a long time of his life in unfruitfulness, Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. If I was God, I would have taught Isaac a lesson with some discipline. But God is so kind to his children. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. 
And as Isaac brings in basket after basket of fruit, I am absolutely positive that with each basket that came in, his heart melted a little bit more. And he fell a little bit more in love with the God that he had just wronged, that he had dishonored. Knowing that he was unfaithful, he was not trusting the Lord, but he was still, number one, accepted, and now, number two, even blessed. Accepted and blessed. When you're accepted and you shouldn't be, that's called mercy. When you're blessed when you shouldn't be, that's called grace. Mercy and grace. Merciful and gracious. Hmm, that's interesting because I seem to remember uh, that's the very identity of God that he reveals himself as. Merciful and gracious. So Isaac shouldn't have been surprised that this is how God works. But why are every single one of us surprised when God blesses us when we've been bad? When God is merciful to us, we should, it's his character. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus 34, Moses is like growing in this awesome relationship with the Lord, but he's like, God, I want to see you. I want to know more about you. I want to actually see who you are. And, and God's like, well, you can't see me or you die. But how about I declare my name to you and let you see my backside glory? I'll pass by you, and you can see just the afterglow after I pass by. It's pretty awesome. And Moses is like, cool. And God proclaimed his name to him. Look at Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed by him and proclaimed, The Lord, or Yahweh, my name, Yahweh, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. God says, you want to know what my name is? You want to know who I am? What best describes me? Merciful and gracious. What you don't deserve, uh, what you deserve like punishment, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to be merciful. And what you don't deserve, blessings, I'm going to bless you anyway because I'm gracious. So good. In Psalm 103 verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. See, God is just a wonderful God and worthy to be worshipped, celebrated, served, and trusted. You should always hear that when you come to church. God is awesome. And he's merciful and gracious. And you can depend on that mercy and grace. You can build your life upon it. Oh, but you don't know the things I've done. Ah, you don't know his mercy. Oh, but you don't know. I don't deserve it. You know what? You're just living in fear and faithless, and you don't believe that he's gracious. Of course you don't deserve it. Of course you haven't done enough. Nobody has, but that's not part of the equation. God says, I just am merciful and gracious, and your fear is what holds you back from believing it. Doubt keeps us from faith. If you've done wrong, come back to him now with your whole heart. Your whole heart. Just say, I've done wrong. I, you, I deserve lightning bolts right here. But with my whole heart, I'm just going to run back to God and trust that he's not going to throw the lightning bolts that I deserve. In Joel chapter 2, verse 13, very common and, and popular verse, it says, So rend or rip rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? For he is gracious and merciful. It's like this is a common theme that God wants you to know about him. 
He's slow to anger, great in kindness, and he relents from doing harm. That's the Bible's promise to you. When you have just messed up, come back to him. There is not a time period of cooling off with God. He doesn't have to cool off. Why? Because he never got elevated in anger. Why? Because he already poured out all his anger on Jesus for you. Now, if you, don't, if you reject Jesus, you should be afraid of God. His anger still burns just as hot today as it ever has against sin. But if you're in Christ, you just believe in Jesus, man, he is merciful and gracious and will never cease to be. He will never, he will always relent from doing harm. He's not going to just bring harm upon you. But we don't believe it. We think that we're going to get punished. You can't be punished. Jesus was already punished for you. God doesn't punish for the same thing twice. Now, he can discipline you, sure, but it is never to harm you. He says he relents from doing harm. He won't harm you. And if you want to avoid his discipline, run back to him. You can experience the mercy of grace on God even if your pastor doesn't like you. Remember Jonah? Jonah brought the message of God's mercy and grace to the people of Nineveh, and he hated them. And what happened? They believed it and received God's mercy and grace. And their pastor was like, I hate you. I hope you all die. And they still got God's mercy and grace. So for Jonah 4, 2, so he prayed Jonah to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, this is not, was this not what I said would happen in my country? That's why I fled and took off to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. I wanted you to harm them. What a great pastor. <laughs> no, see, you're, you're, you are in control of how God relates to you. Not your pastor. You, you, you have humility and God will pour out his grace. But you have pride. You get the harm. You get the, the wrath. God is against the pride. He wars against it. You know, but trusting in God's grace, and trust, or are you trusting in your own works? Always comes back to that, doesn't it? We'll look at back in Genesis 26, verse 15. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. Jerks. And Abraham said to Isaac, or Abimelech, excuse me, said to Isaac, go away from us. You are much mightier than we. <coughs> excuse me. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which he had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. Jerks. He called them by the names which his father had called them. So this is why there's nobody living in the valley. So they were up in the hills and, and had their little Gerar area. But this is why no one was living in the valley, because these guys had stopped up all the wells. No wells equals no water. No water equals no crops. No crops equals no life. Can't be there, all right? The enemies of God always want there to be a famine in the land. Why would you stop up wells? Just because you're a jerk. Uh, no other reason. Just because you hate people. I, I, it just doesn't even make sense. 
They, the enemies of God always want there to be a famine of the word of God. Water in the Bible so many times speak of the word of God, the living waters. Okay, the enemies of God always want Bible teaching churches to shut down. They want Bible teaching pastors to die. They're at war, the enemies of God, with the living waters. They're stopping up wells all over the place. Then they're digging their own wells that have bitter waters, not living waters, trusting and teaching people to trust in their own efforts. It's not okay. It's not right. It doesn't satisfy people. But because of God's blessings, because Isaac now had all these riches and resources, God enables him to go dig these wells again. God has blessed him with the ability to dig these wells again. He's able to be fruitful in this dry land by making sure his people have access to living waters, fresh waters. Isaac, he's trusting in the Lord again. He's saying, you know what? Let's just get back to the living water. We can, we can do, he's provided, we're going to dig these wells again. We'll look at verse 19. Isaac servants dug in the valley and they found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar, so these people come out of the city and, and they quarrel with Isaac's herdsmen saying, oh, that water's ours. So he called the name of it Essek because they quarreled with him. Then he dug another well and they quarreled with him over that one too. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Keep digging wells. Keep going to church. Keep getting up to seek the Lord. There will be enemies at every step to oppose you. But God is with you and he will provide what you need through his son, through the word. God will not leave you. He's not going to forsake you. But what if Isaac would have given up after the second well? He said, oh, I guess God is not going to keep his promises. Look, I dug two wells. He's abandoned me. What good is it going to church? I'm not going to get up anymore to read my Bible. What if he would have quit after those two wells? His family would have paid the consequences. He would have paid the consequences. But God desires to continue us to continue to live in faith and believing prayer no matter what we face. We will always get up and go to church. Not because it's a law or a rule, but because we're pressing on to be obedient to God. Because we believe that he says, just do it and watch what I do in your life. And we're going to continue to open up the word of God even if it seems like the enemy is just stopping up all the wells. We're going to keep pushing in, keep reading. It might not make sense to you for years. Push on. Keep digging these wells. God is with you. And he's going to bless you. Even if it feels pointless, keep seeking Jesus. Keep reading, keep praying, keep worshiping. Even when it hurts. Even when your life is not the way it's supposed to be. Even when there's pain. Worship the Lord. Verse 23, then he went up from there to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. 
So we built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and Isaac's servants dug a well. So Isaac, he's now content, and he's walking with the Lord, and God is speaking to him. He's in the place that he wanted to be that whole time. But God finally gives him the rest and starts speaking to him, appearing to him. That's why we keep reading the word. That's why we keep seeking him. Because he, he says, I will be found by those who seek me with all their heart. I've had people say, oh, I tried Jesus. And he didn't do anything for me. And I gently say, you're a liar. You didn't seek him with all your heart. Because he is not unfaithful. You are. He will always come through. You don't. Just open your heart to him. Keep trusting him. He'll be there. God is speaking to him. He's worshiping. He's living in this place of communion with the Lord. Hearing the Lord's voice. Oh, it's so good. Where Isaac is at right now. Then verse 26. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to him, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, well, we've certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we've done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. Ha, that's a lie. I stopped up all my wells, buddy. But they say, now you are blessed of the Lord. So we made them a feast and ate and drank and they arose early in the morning and swore an oath to one another, and Isaac sent them away. And they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which he had, they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the place is Beersheba to this day. Isaac, you know, he's, he's a peaceful guy. He's not trying to cause any trouble. And this is an admirable, admirable trait for a man of God. Yet, on the other hand... He seems to be setting up this idea that his uh, children and the enemies of God can somehow make treaties. And that's not good. For the next 2,000 years, this is going to be a major problem for the people of God. That, that we, the people of God, can make treaties with the enemies of God and somehow be at peace with them. That it's okay to give the flesh a place to indulge in our lives. It's not okay. See, we have a flesh. We have a war going on with two nations inside us, the people of God or the spirit of God inside us that wants good and fellowship with God and then the, the flesh, which desires evil. And there should be no peace treaties. It's war. The flesh desires to kill the spirit. The spirit desires the death of the flesh. They are not at peace. They will never be. And so... We can't make little areas in our life, oh, that's where my flesh indulges itself. Don't touch. This is church over here. Church has 95%, 5% flesh over here. God says that will cause major, major problems. There's such good pastors out there that have fallen because they let 5%. They made a treaty with some little part of their flesh. And they were great. They were walking with the Lord. They were gifted being used. Yet the 5% killed them, came back to haunt them. And now their people aren't even able to be taught by them. Their, their spiritual gifts are wasted now. Sad. Well, we're, we're almost done, guys. 
So they, he makes this agreement with them, and he's kind of like buddy-buddy with them now. Well, Esau, his son, you remember Esau? He, he sees this. He's the carnal son. He's got two sons, Esau and Jacob, all right? Esau, he sees this peace treaty. He sees this agreement, and he's like, hey, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to marry not one, but two of them. Verse 34, Esau, when he was 40 years old, took wives, Judith, the, the daughter of Beria, Hittite, and Basemath. If you're dating a girl named Basemath, you just end it. <laughs> the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah. Wow. We have to be careful what we let our, what we let our children see us make peace with. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. I don't care if my kids hear a cuss word. It's in the world. But I do not want them to see me make peace with that. To say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm into that sometimes. I'm going to give in to that. No. I, I'm at war with sin and with my flesh. And I don't want my kids to see me make peace with it. We are in the world but we are not of the world. We dig our wells at different places. Whatever you accept in moderation, your kids are going to go overboard with. It's just what happens. So we're done. Thank you guys so much for spending some time in the Word. We're going to now take communion, which is just our time to let the, the message sink in. And what we do is we're just going to sing a couple songs. And as, you're, as you feel lead just stand up and come over here and grab some some juice and some um, bread and taking communion is so important for our hearts because it's our hearts saying i believe jesus will make all this happen not me this is his body his blood is the effectual power that makes all of this happen in my life so let's pray father we we surrender lord our thoughts to you we surrender our ideas of what's um, your will, Lord, and we, we want it to just be your spirit that guides us and leads us. So, Father, I pray that uh, Lord, that we would know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you are with us and that you desire to bless us, that you're merciful and gracious. And, Lord, we would see as we as we eat of the, the cracker and remember your body, that you were merciful to us because you were not merciful to your son. You poured out your wrath upon him. And as we drink the cup, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to believe that it was the cup of this new covenant shed for us, given to us, poured out to us, to whoever would receive it. And Lord, help us to receive it by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.